Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Anna or Abigail this morning, our unlikely hero, the, the second of the Fantastic Four is Abigail. Her story is not one that we usually study, I would have to say, although, Linda, you were saying in our small group, but you and I were gone, and we did. <laughs> but, but, I, but I hope that we will learn from, from um, Abigail. I'll leave this open for a minute. We want to welcome those who are online. We are in the second of a series of Fantastic Four, and all four leaders have chosen women, heroes, heroines of the Bible. And I will not reveal who this is. But Debbie set us up so well last week. And I think before we pray, that's what I'll think about is who is she and what's her story? Why does she rise out of the scriptures? I mean, what is it about her? Why does she shine? And then third, our takeaways. What, what do we learn from this woman? So that's where we are going today. Let me get rid of this so I don't drop it. And I think we will begin with our opening prayer. And I decided to use, I I love to use the Psalms because it's the prayer book of the Bible. So I thought we would use the opening, or as opening prayer, Psalm 1914, but use the way in the first few verses that Tim Hughes, a, a a contemporary songwriter, has spoken this. So, um, Let me just read it for you first, and then let's pray it, so we can really comprehend as we pray. We're going to be praying, may the words of our mouths, and of course this is very very familiar to us who have been in liturgies and and heard these words often around a sermon. May the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts bless your name, Jesus, and the deeds of the day and the truth in our ways speak of you, Jesus. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the one who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So now if you would pray that with me. May the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts bless your name, Jesus, and the deeds of the day and the truth in our ways speak of you, Jesus. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the one who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And that's really where we want to go today, too. Not just as our opening, but I hope that this will be the way we will leave, thinking about the words of our mouths, the thoughts of our hearts, the deeds of our day, speaking to Jesus, speaking of Jesus lesson his name. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Um, I'm going to leave this, this picture up. Is it good? Yeah, we need the lights on to see. But this is Peter Paul Rubens. His, his um, view, the way he wanted to portray, I'm going to get out of the screen for a minute, this story. So you can just glance up at it as we read. We're in 1 Samuel 25. Um, and I forgot to look where it is in the Bibles on our 
Table seven, which is two forty-seven. Two forty-seven. First Samuel twenty-five. And you know, it's interesting because Debbie, you set this up so well by giving us the story of Hannah who birthed Samuel. And the first verse here says, "Now Samuel died." Okay. But we heard from Debbie last week what a man Hannah had raised in those foundational years and giving him back to the Lord and, and of his integrity and of his character, even going back home often, um, even though he traveled around the land, he still kept his roots at home. So that's where we start. Would someone be willing to read verses 1 to 3 for us from 1 Samuel 25? Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was sharing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband... Calebite was surly and mean in his dealings. Okay, we've already set up some characters here. Samuel's out of the way, but we've, we've been introduced to the three characters. Gene and I take a, 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 we often sign up for a Christopher Wren Osher Institute, or however you say it, Osher, Osher Institute with William and Mary, uh, an opera. And because we're going to see the operas in, in Norfolk or Richmond, and so we take this, whatever it is, nine hours on the two operas and um, he, all, Dr. Glenn Winters always says that with a character's entrance you know who they are okay <laughs> that, that a, good, a good playwright or a good uh, composer when putting together an opera will always let you go and so that's what we've done but I have just realized we have not gone around the room, and I'm so glad that you did it, Debbie, last week. So, Alan, let's go around and say our names for everyone, just in case people. Alan Davis. Linda Davis. Bill Wallace. Joni Wallace. Linda Nielsen. Elizabeth Keller. Bully Olson. Debbie Ward. Don Ward. Bob <coughs> Staples. Bates Staples. Harvest Strayer. Gene Parlow. John Seltzer. And Larry Van Dorn is our tech guy. Thank you. And with that introduction, now now that we know one another's names, let's just think about that. Uh, you know what what we're learning. But let's. I think it's important to read the whole story, and then we will go back and discuss parts of it, if that's okay with you. But now we've heard who is who the three people are who are going to be in this story. Would someone read? Um, Four through eleven. First Samuel twenty-five. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, or Carmel, and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. 
Therefore, let my young men found favor, favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Are there many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters? Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat and all I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? <laughs> so David's young man turned away and came back and told him all this. Okay. So now we have the situation set up. Let's see what happens. Would someone read 13 through 17? will allow our online listeners and viewers to hear some different voices instead of just one. Thank you. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail's Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were all a wall to us by night and by day, and while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know this, and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak of him. All right, we're finding a, a, a little bit more about Nabal uh, and what his servants think of him. Okay, so let's see what happens now. Um, let's read 18 through 22. Would someone read those verses? Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, maybe. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Whoa. <laughs> this David, this David, now let me just interject here. Where we are in David's story. David, if you'll recall, was the youngest of Jesse's sons. Jesse hadn't even brought him in from the field when Samuel came to say, I want to see your sons and we're going to have a little blessing service, okay? Because God had told Samuel he would anoint the next king while Saul was such, I, I, can, can we say someone's a disappointment to God? God, of course, knew what was going to happen. But Saul was not the faithful king. 
And so Jesse doesn't even bring young David in from the fields. And Samuel's looking at each fella, and boy, they look big and strong. And nope, nope, nope. The Spirit has not told Samuel yet who this king will be. So don't you have another son? You have another son? David comes in, he's anointed king. Then we get the story of David and Goliath. And, and we all know that from our Sunday school days. <laughs> then we move on and find that David has now got a following of men. He is a victorious warrior. And it, in fact, we are told he has 600 men. We're going to find that out with him. He's been all up and down the coast. We'll look at a map in a little bit. And Saul is furious with this David. Saul knows deep down inside that David is going to be the next king. And Saul continues to pursue David, wanting to kill him. In the chapter before the one we're reading, in chapter 24, mine is entitled, David Spares Saul's Life. In chapter 26, David again spares Saul's life, has the opportunity to take what he's been told he is, has been anointed to be, to take the kingship. But in 24, Saul has gone in to relieve himself in a cave, and David's men say, yes, now you can get him. And David isn't going to do that. He doesn't want to kill the Lord's anointed, but he snips a little bit of Saul's cloak robe and then shows it to Saul. And Saul, Saul, Saul is overcome with the difference between their characters. There. David does not... That's not the David we're seeing here, is it? This is not the David we are seeing in this chapter. As a matter of fact, let's take a quick... No, we'll go on. And we're going to look... A little, let me just tell you, Saul... No, we will go on. Let's finish, finish this out. Then we'll talk about it. Okay, so where are we? We're at 22, 23? Let's now begin to see who this Abigail is. Um, I think we need to read all the way down from 23 to 31. Is someone willing to read all those verses? 23 to 31. Church, only and Abigail saw David. She hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, By me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal for his name. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do it evil to my Lord be as Nabah. Now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. 
Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in a bundle of living in the care of the Lord, Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt with well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Okay, so Abigail's gone into action, and we'll look at her character in a minute. But I want to set up for you again who David has shown himself to be. You turn back to 1 Samuel 18, just a few verses back. We find out that Saul has been very jealous of David because the people, we know down in verse um, 7, the people are singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And it says, verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with thousands, he thought, but with me only uh, ten thousands, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, he kept an eye on him. Down in verse 14, in everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of David. But all Israel, note, all Israel and all Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. He is a mighty warrior. So Saul decides to give his daughter to David in marriage. And David says, no, I can't. I'm just a, I'm just a poor young guy. I couldn't possibly do this. And so then down in verse 20, uh, first Saul gives his oldest daughter to someone else then. But then Saul gets another idea. Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he's pleased. He says, I'll give him, her to him so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Remember, we would already have read about Samson, <laughs> and a snare that <laughs> she had been. Okay, do you think it, oh, okay. So then um, he says, now you have, so Saul says to David, you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Saul tells his servants, um, work, work on David. Work on him a little bit. You know, go and say, don't you think this is really a good idea? Okay. And we'll go to verses 23 to 25. They repeated these words to, to David, that Saul was really pleased with him. And David said, do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. Again, he's saying this. Okay, he's, he seems so humble. Um... When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, Say to David, the king wants no other price for his bride than a, than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on them. 
So David and his men do it. This is the David that Abigail is coming up to. Okay. When the attendants told, I'm still in 18, when the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. He went out, brought, got the foreskins, presented the full number to the king. When Saul realized, verse 28, that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of all Saul's officers and his name became well known. That's the warrior, David, that Abigail goes out to meet. That's the warrior, David, that Nabal says he's never heard of. Okay. And by this time, we know in 1 Samuel 21, David has sought information from a priest who happens to have bread for his men, gives him bread of the presence that had come out of the tabernacle. And, and Debbie had set that up for us too so nicely last week. And his men were able to eat. And the priest also said, and David says, and do you have any weapons? I don't have any. And the priest says, I happen to have Goliath's sword. And David says, oh, that, that's a mighty fine weapon. I would like to have that. This, right now, we are seeing a different David than the one who's in the cave and the one who will spare Saul's life. We see a David going back and forth. Now let's finish our story. We got to 31. Someone please read 32 through 35. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be to you who have kept me this day from the blood guilt and from avenging myself in my own hand. For surely it's the Lord, the God of Israel, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had heard and came to meet me, truly by warning that I may not, not been left, left to Nabal so much as one male. And David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Thank you. I think we'll stop there, and let's begin to assess these characters. Oh, here's our, here's our man. Nabal has property down in, I have to find it again, Maon, or Maon, right there, and around Mount Carmel. Debbie, you had shown us up near, it's so hard to see when I'm too close, up near Jerusalem, <laughs> just a little five miles north, you said Rama, where Samuel was born. But now the story, David has been up and down, fighting the Philistines, but up and down the country. So we know David had, oops, how did I do that? Oh boy, okay, we're going to stay here because I can't go back. I've never learned how to go back. But David has been up and down the country. It makes sense as we read the scripture that all of Israel would know who David is. But let's think through the story. What, what have you observed about these three characters? The, the character of Nabal, 
What do we think about him as you look through the scriptures, as we go back to the beginning? Go ahead. Faith, you're ready to tell us. Yeah. and mean, wicked, worthless. his name means fool. And his name means fool. Certainly, but yes. One commentator says this term fool, and the term as it's used, does not mean a harmless simpleton, but rather a vicious, materialistic, and egocentric misfit. Um, the Proverbs uses the term fool. We often are, compare the fool with the, the, those who are wise in Proverbs. But in Proverbs 17, we see that a fool, we're not going to go there, we wouldn't have time to go through all these, but Proverbs 17, we see that the fool is often a glutton, feasting like a king, a slave feasting like a king, a hoarder, Let's go to Isaiah 32 for just a minute. Now keep your fingers open for Samuel. But Isaiah 32, and if you don't want to go there, that's okay. I will read a little bit, maybe 6 through 8. For the fool, oh, for the fool speaks folly. His mind is busy with evil. He practices ungodliness and spreads error concerning the Lord. The hungry... He leaves empty. And from the thirsty, he withholds water. I mean, Isaiah may actually have been thinking back to this story. There are so many parallels. The scoundrel's methods are wicked. He makes up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies, even when the plea of the needy is just. But the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds, he wins. Isaiah may very well have known this story. He certainly knew the Proverbs. And to think about the contrast here with Nabal. Nabal also is called, where is it? Um, in verse 3, a Calebite. That term is not used to distinguish someone from the, from the, uh, a descendant of Caleb. It's usually sons of Caleb, of the tribe of Caleb. So there are... Many scholars say, okay, it just means he's from Caleb's, which fits. Caleb was, Joshua and Caleb were the two who came over, right? Okay, they were the two spies who believed God. But here is what, oh, where is it? Now I've lost what I wanted to quote. Um, a Calebite could possibly be a pun on a Hebrew term very close to Caleb, which means dog. <laughs> and especially if we think in terms of stories being transmitted orally, humor is often part of the way we remember a story. Okay, vivid imagery, humor. And so it makes sense. I'm not saying this wasn't written down. This was eventually written down, but these stories why these people were told. And so it makes sense. I'm with the scholars who say it's really a joke. We just don't get it in English. Okay? But one or the other. He is from the tribe of Caleb or a pun on the dog. Okay, he's got all these goats, right? And all these sheep. What, what did you notice about his answer to, to the servants, about David? What do you see in his answers there? Let's look at 25. Let's go back to 
verse 10. Who is this David? Well, we've learned from the scriptures that the people know of David's warring. Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I have to listen to this fellow? Why should I take my bread and water? You hear Isaiah? Maybe remembering this story. And the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where. Yeah, but then I don't think they had mentioned that he was the son of Jesse. He sort of gave it away that he <laughs> really did know who this was. Yes, I think this, maybe. You know? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. When we get over to Abigail, do you remember how many sheep she brought? She brought five. How many does he have? Mm. He has thousands. <laughs> Okay, David is not asking something unreasonable. So, okay, we we get a feeling for who this guy is. What about Abigail? What do you think of her? Now, she's introduced right away, too. We're told, flat out, she's intelligent, beautiful, in contrast (laughs) to her husband. But what, what, what do you see? In the ways that she approaches David. She was humble. She comes to him humbly. Yeah. Absolutely humbly. Courageous. Courageous. Yeah. 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 What else? I think it's interesting that the servants went immediately to her. (laughs) Yes. And said, you won't believe what has happened. Yes. So we think there's a background story, or many, <laughs> which we, we haven't been privy to, but apparently they knew with whom to speak if there was a problem. Anything else about her? She let him know what she, what she thought of her husband, too. Yes. And you know, I, I mean, I've always cautioned our daughters. I, I, don't, I hope I don't caution daughters-in-law, but daughters, don't say anything. In fact, our kids know. Don't say anything against your husband to me because I can never love him as much as you do. So I don't want to have that story in the background. And so, and when you're in public, you should try to honor your husband. And I fail at that. I mean, every now and then, you know, the rolled eye, the things that women... <laughs> I do. Not, I won't put it on anyone else in this room. <laughs> the raised eyebrow, the rolled eye. And, and that's wrong. She... I would say a woman should be honoring her husband, but what's happening here? This, this is life or death for these people. We know what David can do with his, now he's only brought 400 men. <laughs> 200 are back with the supplies. Yeah, what else have you seen about her? You know, if we look at the verbs, where do we start the verbs? Um, she said... Uh, Okay, verse 18. Verse says, Abigail lost no time. I love that. You know, very courageous. She gets all this stuff together. An abundance she gets, not telling her husband. Verse 20, she came riding her donkey, and, and she sees David and his men descending toward her, but it says she met them. It, it almost seems as though she is the prime actor in this scene. David had just said it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property. He's paid me back evil. I'm going to kill him. You know. Um, when David, when Abigail, verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey 
bowed down, as you said, very respectfully, very humbly. And then what does she say? Put the blame on me. Oh my. Because my husband's fool. Then verse 26. Now, she says, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, she's somehow acting on, she believes, on God's behalf at this moment, right? Mm -hmm. Calling David her master. Anything else? She, at verse 28, please forgive your servant's offense. What about David? Let's talk a little bit about David right now. What have you seen about him? What is his what is set up the scene? His men have been down in this area, Carmel, um, Mayon, I'm not sure how to say it. <laughs> um, with the, when the sheep shearing is going on, and we're told his men didn't act like marauding guerrilla warfarers that they could have, that they were a wall, the, the version we heard, for the sheep shearers, they were making sure they protecting. And look at what David asks, okay? We're, let's go to where David's words to his his servants. Well, David was in, go up to Nabal, verse 5, sent 10 men. Say to him, well, now just think about what, he, what does this tell us about David at this moment? This is what David says. Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. What, what do we hear? Yeah, yeah, he's being respectful. He's being, yeah, we, 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 don't, we don't see anything vicious here. Now, I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherd's with us, he sets it up. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men since we come at festive time. Please give your servants and your son, David, whatever you can find for them. What do you think about David's approach to Nabal? Sounds respectful. He sounds very respectful, doesn't he? He doesn't come in like the guy who's got Goliath's sword <laughs> and say, give us what you've got. Demanding, you know? not demanding. Not demanding. He doesn't even say how much he wants. Give us whatever you can. It's a festive time. He knows that at the time of the festival, things will have been being prepared. It looks like Abigail could whip up a hundred cakes of this and a hundred cakes of that pretty quickly. So we know. Yeah, yeah. In the Hebrew, David uses the term shalom, peace, to Nabal three times in if we were reading it in Hebrew, and I don't read Hebrew, that's just what the commentator says, okay? But So this David, who conquered Goliath, who's had opportunity to kill Saul and hasn't, but has been able to, to kill, we would assume, kill these Philistines, we, we know the stories of David, this mighty warrior, he comes respectfully asking. Right? So that's... But why on earth is this story in the Bible? I 
don't know, but I think we have to start with my favorite version of the Bible. So glad Tara used it in Lent. Where are we? Now, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules telling you what to do and not do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. <laughs> they show you that the, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes. <laughs> That's what we're looking at, Fantastic Four. Showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes. They get afraid and run away. At times they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story, and I, and I usually get teary-eyed when I read this, about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible. Okay, lots of stories. But all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. So, there's a clicker. Where are the whispers of his name in this story? That's what we want to think about. Where do we find hints about Jesus? What do you think? I mean, we're looking at the man whom we know will become king and Jesus will come from his line. So in this story, David could be giving us the whispers of his name. Nabal certainly not. (laughs) And Abigail could. So let's think through those characters. As we see David in this story, does he portray for us the Jesus we know? Oops. The lion who is the lamb, the king who is a servant, the creator, redeemer, master, coming again. Do you see whispers of Jesus in David in this story? Anybody? Pardon? Verse 6. Okay, read it for us, John. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. The King of Peace, Jesus. 
He is the king of peace. Absolutely. David won't be known as the king of peace. He'll be known as the mighty, all-victorious king. And his son, Solomon, will be that king of peace. But yes, he comes like Jesus with peace. Anything else? What about Abigail? Can we go back through her story? Her name, by the way, means joy of her father. <laughs> How does she enter the scene? The scene with David. How does she enter? Yeah, she comes riding a donkey. And she falls down on her knees, right? What else? What's her role with David? I mean, she's come with this offering, right? If you were to define, describe her role, what is she doing? She's an intercessor. She's a mediator. You got somebody who's downright angry and wrathful and someone who is a a legitimate fool making a decision for his whole community, his whole household, which would be a very large household if he has all those sheep and goats and the hundred cakes she could whip up. I've made a decision that means death for them. So she comes as an intercessor. Let's look at verse 28. 25, 28. First Samuel, 25-28. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. David does fight the Lord's battles, but Abigail takes on the role of a prophet here. Absolutely, she is speaking prophetically that David will carry the line, that he is Yahweh's chosen king. But saying, please forgive. She's brought that offering as an appeal for mercy. Right? I mean, that's all she's got, is just an appeal for mercy. John, would you, you want to say something? Yeah, you no, look like you're thinking she, something. Uh, continually uh, functions like the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Tell us more. Why are you saying that? Well, uh, early on I was wondering, okay, Abigail, you're giving us a lesson here about how to lead someone to repentance. Mm. So conviction of sin. Please forgive. Well, that's just, that's just a way of saying we need to repent. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yes. Strikes me as um, as well as protecting David. Yes, absolutely. And God's plan. Yes, carrying out God's plan. Yes, he to have Nabal's blood on his hands would be a sin like having um, Bathsheba's husband. Am I going to say it with Uriah? No, no. What Bathsheba's? Is it Uriah? Uriah. Yeah. Okay, got it right. Yeah. That was a sin that needed repentance, and David goes to repentance in that psalm. 
Okay. I, I propose that we have a whisper of Jesus' name in Abigail. That she could be for us a type of Christ. And, and because our Trinity, three persons, but they work as one. I agree with you, John, on the Holy Spirit. But what we see is, it's, or the whispers of his name, his name is Lord. He is God. What did I, did I put something wrong there? No. no, I love that you have, yeah. that she takes on the transgression because she mm-hmm. says, it's, it's, it's my fault. Yeah. Down, remember the, the image yeah. that we see and the image that is portrayed in the scripture. She is down on her knees. Yeah. She is helpless before this man, mm-hmm. whom at least we know, if she didn't, has Goliath's sword. <laughs> and remember, he didn't want to wear Saul's armor <laughs> because it was too big. But now David's grown up a bit. <laughs> That's who we have. And I just, just for the sake of it, on page two, just so you don't think we're going all feminist and saying that we, that we have, these, <laughs> that we have a, a female God. I don't believe that. The scriptures always use the masculine pronoun, but we also acknowledge that God is spirit, neither male nor female, but he has revealed himself as father, as brother in Jesus. So I just gave us a little box, whispers of his name, with feminine imagery of God. And we don't have time to go through them, but Isaiah 42, God birthing us. God as a nursing mother. God as a mother who comforts a child. God as a mother bird with, with wings under, you know, taking care of the children. An eagle, same thing, hovering. Hosea, uh, that's a good one. Mama bear and her cubs. <laughs> okay, that's how God is to us. And of course, we've just come through Lent where we heard Jesus say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen with her chicks. This feminine... So I, I just want to say, I don't think it's heretical. <laughs> that's my, that's my cop-out box no. there. <laughs> <laughs> I, not that... Not in any way that Abigail knew in any way that she was becoming a type of Christ. But why do we admire her? Because of that story and the way she acts, why do we look at Nabal and say, you are your name. You are a fool. Senseless and vicious and churlish and and all those adjectives that we've got. So then we ask, you know, we we look at Jesus and and especially just having come through the Lenten season, and then now we're in the Easter season, which goes all the way to Pentecost. In, in some years of the early church, 4th century, nobody knelt or fasted during the Easter season. Not at all. Not at all. So who is... Oh, we did that. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. Who then is this Jesus? And I was... I had forgotten that we have in... In our readings today, I knew I knew the gospel, but I had forgotten that we have the second reading. Many of you have been to church, and some of you may yet go. We, we still have to go, but I was listening. Um, we have Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation 5, 2 to 9, but we'll finish it out with what we hear in church today. Revelation 5, John's vision. Then I saw in the... Oh, I'll start with them. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides 
and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. Then one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah? The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And what does John see? He sees a lamb on the throne, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came, this lamb who is the lion came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down from before the throne, before the lamb. And they all begin to sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then, what's in here today? Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice. They are singing about the story, okay? And how magnificent this story is because it doesn't <coughs> think it should or that it would. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive. He's worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then everyone in heaven and earth sings to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Now think about this. We, we laughed at Nebal. What a fool. We looked at David and thought, mm, uh, probably not a good idea to, to allow that anger the, the warrior David to come out for something like this and in steps someone who humbly <clears throat> respectfully and David was respectful and he said peace be with you and he came humbly but that, that warrior David rose within him and in comes this woman who becomes the mediator between wrath and she brings between wrath and foolishness, and she brings peace. And that's what our story is. It's why we, I believe, it's why we admire Abigail, is because she's whispering that story. Why do we admire about Jesus? It's the way he came. And that gets us, just to wrap up, to something Luther and the Lutherans of his day wrote about the theology of the cross and I've got two of these on your handout not the third one, we'll see them more this is um, 
Um, is Van Balthazar? Now I can never remember. I think he's either Orthodox or Catholic. I can't remember. He's writing about Monday Thursday, and, I, and this is on your handout. In serving, in washing the feet of his creatures, God reveals himself even in that which is most intimately divine in him, and thereby manifests his supreme glory. Van Balthazar is talking about that which is most intimately divine in our God is that he's a servant God. If you've been to church, the reading in the gospel is Jesus. The risen, victorious Jesus who says, hey guys, did you catch anything? Oh, drop the nets. Oh, they see it's Jesus. They come in. He doesn't need their fish. He's already got fish cooking on the fire for them and bread. He is serving them. And, and so Van Balthazar says, that's what's most intimately divine about our God, is that he always remains the servant. And then on Good Friday, he quotes a fourth century church father, if one examines this mystery, one will prefer to say, not that his death was a consequence of his birth, but that the birth was undertaken so that he could die. No, Jesus is not surprised by the end of his earthly life, how it ends. He is born to die. He has come as the servant king. Now, David will end up being a magnificent king. He will be the king that Jesus comes from. He is revered by Jews. He in his sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah, he doesn't do what Saul does and say, well, but first Samuel, let's have a... Or Nathan, he would have to say to Nathan, because Samuel has died. But, but David doesn't say, well, but just in front of the people, let's make it look like I'm a good guy. He says, no. Repenting, fasting, and then that beautiful song about forgiving sin. It is against you and you alone that I have sinned, David said. So that's who we have. And then this last quote, which then I'll just, I think I've got it somewhere, but I'll just read it here. I'll get out of your way. <laughs> this is from Jean Edward V on the spirituality of the cross. I've heard that missionaries sometimes have a hard time explaining Jesus to followers of tribal faiths. Our God's a great warrior, they sometimes respond. He would not let himself be killed like your Jesus. Veith says, the theology of the cross cuts against the grain of all natural religion. And that's what we want and what we expect in a spiritual system. God manifested himself not as an abstract principle, but he came down from heaven. Not as sheer energy, but as a baby, born in a rather scandalous way of a poor virgin, not in a king's palace, stable for animals. This isn't news to us. To be sure, the angels celebrated his coming, but they announced it not, oh, sorry, not to the king, but to shepherds. Throughout his life, the Son of God emptied himself of his glory. And those, those, that scripture in Philippians, we often look at in our uh, time together that Jesus emptied himself and came as the servant king. 
So I would say, for me, the takeaway with Abigail is that image of power played out in servanthood. Not grasping for power, as, as the Philippians would say. Jesus not grasping to hold on to something, but coming because she lays herself before him, looking for mercy. She has no guarantee that David will respond in the way that he does. Any comments? I, I, we didn't, I didn't let there be enough comments. Any comments? We still have two minutes, I think. I love that. Oh. It, it, you mean the picture or the words? The words. Oh, did you have a piece? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, our story isn't the story of other religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we forget that. Our victory comes, again, I think it's just so perfect that we have John 21 up against this vision of the, of the lamb who is a lion in Revelation, in the lectionary. Sometimes the lectionary just amazes me. Well, I, I don't know that we'll sing. I don't know that I want my voice on that. But maybe we can read together from this hymn. From crown him with many crowns. So would you read with me? Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and sides. Rich rules, yet visible above. In beauty glorified. No angels in the sky can fully bear that sight. But downward bend their wondering eyes at mysteries so bright. Crown him the Lord of life. Who triumphed for the grave. And rose victorious in the strife For those he came to save. His glory is now the same, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives the death and death. And you know, again, in that story, remember we've got a story. In that story, we have a king, right? I mean, Saul's in the background. He's not in the story with us now. We know David is anointed to be king. And yet... We get the whispers of who that king will be, and Abigail helps David to go in that direction, like John said, like, like as the Holy Spirit, correcting the path he's on. But here's how the, the Jesus Storybook Bible ends. It says, to be continued. <laughs> to be continued. To be continued. And you know, that's what we've got, right? I mean, crown him with many crowns. He comes as the servant in our gospel today. We see that imagery of him as a lamb on the throne. But we know that the story will be continued. So next week, I give no hints. No hints. Although we know this will be a woman. Okay. And, and who was telling me? Was it? Was it? No, it was... Ellen was telling me, you looked up... Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I'm sorry, not not Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you were telling me, how many women could there be? There are hundreds and hundreds. (laughs) So if you Google who the next woman might be, you've got a lot of reading ahead of you. (laughs) But anyway, next week right here, and is is next week Pastor Fraley, I think.
Yes, that we know. He wouldn't tell us. Oh, are they doing it together? Maybe. I think. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Anyway, go in peace. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org. Thank you.